Hello, everybody. Kate Strashney here from Dedicated and really excited to introduce you to this session here today. We're going to talk to Catalina Herrera, a senior data scientist at TIPCO, and she's going to share with you her journey of growing her career from a data analyst to a data scientist. We're definitely taking questions from the audience. So if you've got questions, if you're either a student, a data analyst, or you know, when you want to transition into a data science role, or if you're a data scientist wanting to grow that career as well, definitely feel free to add in your, your comments, your questions, and we're going to try to take as many as we can. So as you're joining the session, I also want to ask you to let us know what is your role in your organization if you have a job? Are you an analyst? Um, are you working as a data scientist right now and just want to get some more tips? or maybe you're a student looking to break into this data profession, definitely introduce yourself in the comments and let us know what you're looking for. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and bring Catalina Herrera up here on our stage. Hello, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you, Kate, thank you very much. Absolutely, such a pleasure to have you here today. I'm really looking forward to learning your journey and um, I told the audience already that they're you know, they can ask us as many questions as, as they'd like, and we'll try to get through as many as we can. But before we get started, um, Catalina, can you please provide an introduction and tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, let's see. <clears throat> I'm an engineer. I have uh, three master's degrees covering from computer science, engineer technology, advanced electronic systems. So I also have a specialization in data science. I started my career back in Colombia. I am Colombian, in case you were wondering. I uh, was a professor at the engineering school where I actually discovered my passion for education and for having an audience connecting dots of uh, everything that I was explaining. Uh, however, after teaching the same class for about the fifth time or so, I decided I needed to complement my skills with the experience coming from the industry, right? It's not just, this is the class, this is the theory, but how that actually looks in real life. What is the process? I need my industry to be involved. So in 2004, I left my country, my culture, my family, my language, <laughs> to start my journey at the United States as a student. Um, so I started uh, with Texas A&M and then Texas Tech for my last two master degrees. And that happened 17 years ago. Oh my gosh, uh, it sounds like a long time. So today I'm thrilled to be here, sharing my insights with this amazing audience and uh, happy to answer a lot of questions on this journey. It's definitely a journey, it's definitely a journey. So that's a little bit of my background. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think what um, your other interesting aspect is you, you came here from a different country. So you have that other perspective that I think several uh, folks from the audience would also be interested in hearing about, of not only transitioning into the space, but transitioning into a different language, a different country, a different culture. Um, did you speak English when you were in Colombia or did you have to start in 2004? No, we do. I mean, English is, is a huge part of our education growing up in Colombia, right? So I was part of a school that we call a bilingual school, where at the time I had at least two or three classes in English uh, as part mm -hmm. of it. So my ear, per se, was very adjust to English, but it's different to have a, 
movie in English that being able to have a business conversation in English. And that was kind of the uh, challenging part over there, definitely. So it, it's a journey. It's a journey. I'm very happy to do so now because now my brain is very adjustable. If, if I'm talking about data science, I, I bring English by default. But mm. if I'm talking about specific things that are not necessarily within the vocabulary of data science, my, my brain goes to Spanish by default. It's, it's very interesting. Or what I dream, I dream in English or in Spanish, depending on who I'm dreaming about. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very, very interesting. So I, I, I grew up speaking Russian, but I moved to since I was about nine years old. And when, like, if you asked me to, talk about data or anything at all in Russian, I could not hang for probably even 10 seconds. So it completely no. defaults to English, but I can have a regular conversation in Russian, no problem. So I um, definitely, definitely can relate to that, to that story. Checking no. um, in on some of the comments, just to get a sense for who is joining us. So we've got Al who's saying he's currently a librarian. Um, okay, business analyst, forklift driver, Legal e-discovery tech. We've got a geologist, very diverse uh, audience here um, from Columbus, Ohio, mathematics instructor looking for a career in, in data science, mm -hmm. product manager, CC Colombia. Okay. CC <laughs> Caribe, Colombianos en la audiencia, muy bien. Oh, there we go, there we go. <laughs> I, I studied Spanish a little bit um, through high school, but I probably couldn't have an, even a normal or a business conversation in the language. I could ask someone where's the restaurant or bathroom. Um, big fan of Catalina, awesome. So, okay, glad to, glad to see so many people that have joined us. I think it's time for us to um, get into some questions, Catalina. So I think my first question to you is, Tell us your love story with data. How did that all happen? Because you have, you have a very interesting background, so I'd love to hear more about that specific part of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so I say, let's start with the fact that the term data science has been evolving. I, my first data science job was when I was working at the Alternative Energy Institute as a GA, which is a graduate assistant uh, back in West Texas A&M, I was working on a thesis that back in 2006 was already a data science project because I needed to describe all the variation in the wind direction across the state of Texas, retrieving data from all of these sensors that were actually part of these wind turbines. So my job, as a GA at the Alternative Energy Institute was in fact to collect all of this data coming from all of these sensors, process it, make some sense of it, and write a thesis. So in the uh, wind direction and the description of wind direction and the correlation by region or geography or area and all of that became very, very interesting. So I realized my ability to work with data at the time because realistically, the sensors, sensors were coming from all over. You have different altitudes in these wind turbines and all of that. And you have to have a very organized brain to be able to make some sense out of that data. So that was the beginning of it. Then I actually graduated and I was offered a position at Texas Instruments. I'm an electronic engineer by background. So, you know, I was back when I was teaching in Colombia, I was actually teaching in, in the semiconductor industry. I was teaching about 
creating these silicon wafers and all of that, but everything was in the in the board as a theoretical class. When I was actually offered the position at Texas Instruments, I was actually given the opportunity to work hand by hand with the wafers, with like the silicon wafers and the process of the silicon wafer. And how many steps do you actually have to have to have a microprocessor that actually works in your computer, right? Over 10,000 steps where you are actually collecting data, collecting data, collecting data. So when I joined Texas Instruments, the first day that I joined Texas Instruments, they gave me a computer and the computer had Tipco Spotfire installed on it. And that was it. That was the beginning of it. They just gave me the computer, the Spotfire was installed on it, and pretty much good luck. Now you are a guild engineer. I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> like, okay, your goal is to optimize our production. Very simple. How many of those, how many of those uh, microprocessors is actually going to be functional, passing every single test across all 10,000 steps where we are collecting data from all over, right? Test uh, fabs, buildings, testers, boards, different stages on that silicon process. So that was my my introduction to big data. I'm talking mm -hmm. about billions of rows of data daily across multiple silos of information, right? You are talking about parametrics data and then multiple data, final test data. At the end, you have to have a full picture. How is this yielding? where I'm losing production. Is this tied to a specific board, to a tester, to a test floor? Which variable is failing? Can I correlate this with something that makes sense? And that's where I actually realized not only the power of data, but the power of data knowing about the topic that you are involved with, right? So my goal was to yield and to maximize production within the semiconductor process, within the silicon wafer process. So that was my goal. The tool was a spot fire, but the interrogation of the data and the tell me what can I do better to actually do my job, which is maximize this production. That was the process that I transformed later into a data science, right? It's, that is it. It's grab all of this information coming from all of these sides of data and make some sense out of it, uh, but also keep the team updated as in what do you find so we can actually affect the process, tweak it, and do something better. So after six years of working with data, modeling outcomes, communicating results, being that bridge between the technical and the non-technical business user, I was ready to start my journey as a consultant. And uh, I was very good getting insights out of data, big data, and that's how I started my career in Tipco. So I pretty much saw data as data, zoomed mm -hmm. out, and then it's like, okay, I can actually tell a story within semiconductors. What about other industries? Can mm -hmm. I actually tell the story about other industries? What if I have data from the oil and gas business? What if I have data from the financial business? What, right? We are all optimizing something at the end. We are trying to do better uh, in our processes and in, in general, affecting our KPIs within each of the businesses. So that's a little bit of my journey and that's how I started uh, in the data space. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, just looking at uh, some of the comments, so Al says that that sounds like a lot of directions because the wind blows crazy in Texas. I think that's such an intense first kind of data 
project. Um, and, and I agree with Lori here. She's saying this sounds like a Spotfire love story, which um, I love that. And my, my question to you is, so you got this computer. It had Tipco Spotfire on it. What was your initial experience? Was it uh, difficult for you to ramp up and start analyzing or visualizing that data? Or was it kind of just you know, second nature? It was second nature after a few walls, right? You have to face some things to go through it. I'm going to say why was it became pretty much like an extra arm. Mm -hmm. But far for me is is a right arm. I, I, I don't I don't click into a future to produce something. I ask questions to the data uh, mm -hmm. while clicking around, which is a big difference, right? It's like my goal is not to click here and produce blah. My goal is to understand what the data is telling me here, so the clicking happens mm -hmm. like by default. I have to admit that uh, at the beginning, my biggest challenge was to have access to all these silos of data because they were all over the place. I mean, it's not just access instruments, it's in general a big company that has been growing into digital transformation somehow has evolved into the infrastructure that they handle internally. And that's part of it, right? Big companies, yeah. a mixed infrastructure, and silos all over the place. So uh, it was very challenging to ensure that I was working with the right data. And that became a step one, where Spotfire was very helpful. Uh, all the set of connectors and all of that, I was avoiding the writing the whole SQL and all of that, where I was able to use a connector, bring the data table, and go to another connector, bring another data table from another silo, and then another one, and another silo, and then at the end, I had a centralized location where I was able to see the full picture that mm -hmm. all these silos were bringing into the table. Right, so it was, it was definitely uh, an, a nice journey. It wasn't a piece of cake at the beginning, but then after I realized the power of, of skipping some bottlenecks at the time, it's like, hey, Mr. TI, or Mr. IT, can I actually have access to ABC? And then a month later, like, I still don't have access to ABC. I need to find a way to have access to ABC because this is part of what I need to do uh, to give an answer from my job perspective, right? Well, yeah. I'm trying to optimize this process, how this is going to happen if I don't see the data. And that's yeah. part of what we call today the, the idea of the democratization of the data, right? Is I am actually super pro of that concept because we it's actually empowering the user to have access to uh, democratization where where a layer that where you can actually access this data and question your 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 data from the SME perspective, from mm -hmm. the field perspective, right? You ask yeah. questions about something when you know about something. That that's kind of a stage one, right? You don't just become a data scientist. No, you you know about something, and then you know how you learn how to use tools to ask mm -hmm. the data about that something. And, and that's uh, how I see it. That's that's actually the exact question I wrote down as you were talking about the importance of domain knowledge, because you knew enough about the space already, and then you got the tool to actually analyze that data and ask the right questions. So uh, my question to you is for, for those in the audience that are wanting to break into a data science role, knowing that domain expertise, whatever that domain might be, is extremely important. Mm -hmm. What do you think 
where do you think they should start off? Should they start by learning some of these tools like TIPCO Spotfire and start analyzing random data sets? Or do you think they should um, go the other way around and learn enough about, let's say, oil and gas or banking or healthcare and then start getting data sets in that specific area where they have some more knowledge and expertise to bring up those um, analytical skills? Yeah, and definitely, I, I, I do get this question a lot, and I will yeah. love to answer it, right? So I'm with you. You can be a data science within your own field of expertise, right? Know mm -hmm. about something before learning about data science. That's a for sure, because you are asking, you're going to be asking questions about the data when you have no clue about that specific topic, and you have a million row data table. Yeah. But when you actually know, oh, okay, I'm looking for a correlation, I know about testers, I know how the different boards can actually uh, yield in, in an average that is higher than the baseline, I can understand the outlines, or I can see an outlier and see this is definitely not normal, this is way out the process lines or limits or those kind of things. So I would say that to answer that question, instead of giving the audience a list of Python libraries or point you to a list of online resources, which I will do anyway, but I will also invite the audience to kind of zoom out for a second mm -hmm. and start with the, with the end goal in mind, always start with the end goal in mind. Like, okay, who will be consuming these assets? Under what circumstances, right? Who is the business user that is going to be asking questions about this data? And how me as a data scientist is going, I'm going to connect all the dots behind the scenes to be able to answer those business questions, right? So I, I knew about semiconductors and about yield optimization. So the questions I was asking the data at the time in Texas Instruments were, What's failing? Where where is failing? Do I have a correlation with a FAB or with a parametric variable or a testing board or a test, etc. Right. So at the end, to be a data scientist, you do have to have data manipulation skills. You do have to uh, have access to these data silos. So we mentioned that at the beginning. Now, the which skill specifically is needed? Well, it totally depends on many variables because at the end. Different companies, different sizes, different infrastructures, different data silos coming from different places. I, I, have, I have been supporting this industry for, for over a decade. So I can tell you, I have seen the shift in these yeah. teams, right? So at the beginning, starts as an analyst, data analyst. Now it is evolving into a data scientist. Why? What's changing and why? Well, I have seen less uh, IT departments holding the information of being the bottleneck as in what is being consumed or who has access to which data and all of that. This actually is uh, allowing your analysts or embracing your analysts to, to uh, let them embrace this data and empower them to, to, to make decisions, right? But at the mm -hmm. end, the key, the key ABC, you must know uh, if you really want to interrogate this data is access data, transform it, merge it, clean it, pivot it on pivot it, like do whatever you need to do to consume that data in the format that you need to consume it. Uh, visualize your data. That's a whole field of expertise, right? You, you need to understand 
uh, how to optimize the use of the visualizations that you are using, how to select the best visualization to represent that data, how that correlates with the type of data that you are reading. Is this a numerical value? Is this a categorical value? Is this a depth? Is this a trend? Is this something that I can show this way is going to make sense for anybody? That kind of thing. Then you need to extract the insights from your data and contextualize it for your business unit user. And that is where you say, okay, what an image says more than a thousand words. That's that's the power that you have as, as a data scientist. Imagine the 10,000 steps in the semiconductor space and imagine being able to put a one visualization that tells you how is your ITY or your final yield after combining all of these steps and then at the end being able to show a path as in we definitely have a follow-up in this parametric area or we definitely have an issue with the board here that is a, is a great moment extracting of the insights and then being able to repeat some etl recipes right it's like what we are calling what's what's the black box ai versus white box ai and at the end we are all trying to be more efficient and use the skills of the team in a more efficient way so at the end efficiency may become reusing some of these recipes and when i say recipes like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna grab this data i'm gonna connect to this data source i'm gonna transform it i'm gonna clean it i'm gonna unpivot it and now it's ready to be used in a different level or next stage so that reusage of those recipes become very very important as well now of course you naturally will evolve into a more prescriptive and predictive analytics right you have you're going to evolve into okay i can see the basics of my data now what <laughs> now what do i do with it uh i already have the baselines i already have the historical i understand my business through my data i see my business through my data now what so that's where knowing about statistics helps knowing about linear regressions and random models or where to use a classification where to use a uh so that's unsupervised supervised machine learning techniques that actually help you represent this data into a model right how mathematically i can actually see this data being represented into a model and i use the classical example when you were in high school i don't know if you remember this class um y equal mx plus b when we have the X and the Y, it's like, okay, we're trying to represent this line and we're gonna have the Y equal MX plus B and we're all gonna find the M, the X and the Y. Yes. <laughs> we are doing the same thing with a little more complex algorithms <laughs> and yes. way more capacity to process that. And with very, very handy open programming tools like, uh, like Python is phenomenal. I mean, I did a specialization in Coursera and most of uh, the programming language that my experience in Sony is in R. However, mm -hmm. right now I am I am making an effort to go deeper and deeper and deeper in Python and try to reproduce everything that I was doing in R now in Python because simple, I see it more and more within my customers or within mm -hmm. our customers. And it's definitely a skill that I see developing in this newer generation of uh, mm -hmm. data analysts, very well uh, used in hackathons and on in general, open source events that try to you know motivate this generation to be hands-on on on these um tools and then to finish with what are you going to do with that model 
right? So, okay, now what? Now you were able to represent that mathematically, now what? And that's what we call the model ops uh, stage, which is very common in the industry right now, which is how we are gonna deploy this into production, how are we gonna use it, how are we gonna ensure that it's a solution that is going to be to scale and mm -hmm. to let you operate or like creating this AI app that is gonna be used by my team. Uh, so is the is the how we're gonna consume this part of it. So I think that's the journey, right? Now the how you do it and which tools do you use exactly in between, that that yeah. is where you actually have a little bit of flexibility, right? Yeah, and that's actually a question that uh, that just came up. So first, uh, a comment from uh, Al, who basically thinks your wall art is amazing. And I know before we went live, we were just talking about how you actually painted all of that. And you told me about your process. And I think it, it helps you probably to have that design and artistic background when you're actually visualizing data. Um, and another follow-up kind of question here from Gary, he says a picture is worth a thousand words, just like you mentioned. And his question is what data visualization tools are your favorite and why? So if you want to touch on that, I think that'll be helpful. Boom, I am me so far. I'm saying, I, I mean, let's let, and I have tried many, I have tried many and I have to be honest. I mean, I started in TI, but within Texas Instruments, we actually had more than one uh, BI tool, meaning I was exposed early on to more than one option. Spotfire was not my only option, uh, but Spotfire was the more natural growth in me. It was very simple to just click around and find what I need to find. Um, I will say that Spotfire has grown tremendously. So I see Spotfire as the core of this data science journey, right? From from Spotfire, you can you can go left and say, okay, can we actually democratize this layer of data and have all, have all these silos getting into this layer so I can actually put the Spotfire on top and consume my data. But I yeah. can also see it as a beautiful, flexible user interface that is gonna allow you to consume your Python scripts. And if you have been developing ABC in Python or making sure that you are consuming all of these open source and community uh, insights, right? We are not alone, this is the other thing. We are not alone, we are not the only ones doing this. And there are so many groups out there and, and, and communities and meetups and slacks that are public that are very into the topic data science ai machine learning applied data science and um, at the end that is definitely uh, a, a way to do so so spotfire is my is my number one uh, and i'm going to tell you why it can go very deeply into the math and into the expressions very quickly so it gives me independence um okay. i i like independence the, like <laughs> the more I can accomplish with what I have in my hands that is part of my job description, the better, right? And yes. that is what Spotfire put in my hands, that independence. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need to have this person giving me access to this or that or that, I can, I can do it. So I'm gonna connect to this data, visualize this data, and then ingest my Python scripts or my R scripts and let my business user, and this is the other part of it, Spotfire allows you to create these user interfaces where literally you are putting an algorithm behind the button. And, and that is a huge concept, right? Because 
either though we are not all data scientists or all analysts, we are all going through the digital transformation and this is going to happen yes or yes and companies are asking about this data yes or yes right at the end you are correlating this with a kpi or with mm -hmm. an okr and it's high level within the organization that is actually pushing through this digital transformation right so at the end being able to have this visualization is huge so spotfire to the point that i have my own youtube channel showing how to and spot fire and i started that about six six seven years ago and i have been growing that community but yeah i i, I am very passionate about what i can do with this Fire. has been like a line in my growing career that's a fact wow so you really are mrs uh mrs Spotfire. <laughs> yeah yeah i i really do i really do like spot fire a lot it has been a it has been a line i think it's a beautiful product what is your YouTube name? It's my the name, Catalina Herrera. Okay, Just that is Google Catalina Herrera Spotfire and you will find me. You'll find <laughs> everything. Okay, perfect. Uh, we do have a, a couple of questions about the actual session. People are really getting value. They want to make sure they can rewatch the session. So yes, the session is going to stay on LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, and there will be recordings available if you if you can't uh, if you can't stay on. So moving on, that we I know we touched on domain expertise. There's a question here from Quebec asking, how do I choose the domain that I should focus on? So we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The domain you should focus on is whatever calls your name, that it comes from you. So as I mentioned, you have to be passionate about what you are trying to interrogate the data about, right? So I don't think you don't bring the, the tool to your data set, you bring the, you bring, actually bring the field and your expertise and your questions uh, mm -hmm. to the tool and then interrogate the data. That, that is a more natural process. So I, I think uh, from that perspective, uh, keep in mind that it's not gonna happen. I mean, this is, this is, this is a journey, right? That it is a journey, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a destination. You, you have to walk your way there as a journey. And uh, from the domain perspective is whatever you feel passionate about it. And uh, I, I, some last meeting panel that I was doing actually on women in tech, I had that question a lot. It's like, hey, there are all of these uh, resources online and certifications and hackathons and um, data. I will say, well, before being completely overwhelmed, Let's pick a topic that you like, and then let's find data from that topic. And then we go from there, right? It's like, let's ensure that you feel passionate about the topic before interrogating the data is gonna make a difference. Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, I think I, I'd just like to add something that one of my favorite parts about working with data is, let's say you pick a domain and take healthcare as an example, the skills that you, learn on the job are actually transferable to, I'd say, just about any other industry or domain area. Um, so you, if you pick something and you're not too happy with it, you can always, you can always make that switch. So it is, it is definitely a journey. Correct. Correct. Yes. yes. And, and yes, you can reapply a lot of these techniques. Like, oh, when do I use a categorical or what, what kind of machine learning should I use? Well, you're going to face the same question depending on the data table that you have behind, but it's way easier 
when you at least anticipate what kind of answers you are expecting because you do know about the topic, right? And, and mm -hmm. visualizing that before you actually see it on the data helps because it's within your knowledge, within your expectations, right? It's like, okay, this data is actually validating what I believe it was going to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have a, a different question here from Brett. So he's asking, how can visualization be used in the actual data prep process, not visualizing the results, but rather the process or pipeline. So I guess this is the uh, exploratory phase of that process. Oh yeah. And that was one of my favorite things in, in Texas Instruments. And I'm gonna tell you why. Uh, we have these, I mean, not only 10,000 steps, but each wafer, you know, can be retested. So if I have this wafer and it's, uh, it's gonna pass through the board again and then pass through the board again because they needed to calibrate the board or, or anything like that. At the end, I ended up with samples of data, like have three or four times the same wafer being represented in data and all that. It's like, okay, it needs to be a way to see how messy this data is. And then one simple bar chart where the X axis was the actual wafer RD, and then the X axis is count of, and I was like, oh, okay, all of these wafers are repeated. And here is my line where I see all my ones, simple enough. So graphically, I am able to just grab all the extra data and click delete, clean data set, moving on, right? Very, very easy. Where you, where you have a distribution, for example, when you are testing and you know that you have sensors and you also know that the read has to be between X and Y. And then you mm -hmm. have a distribution that is completely out there, like out there. It's like, okay, I know for a fact that sensor needs to be calibrated, that boards needs to be calibrated. Literally, you can see it visually and you can make the decision from the expertise perspective. This data is not gonna be good to have it in my model period, lasso it, delete it. So it's like, okay, I want to ensure that you have a clean data set. Pivoting and unpivoting is, is huge, right? It's mm -hmm. huge because a lot of the times these data sets are going to keep appending tables. So January, February, March, you, you have a big data table. And why if you want to have your months on your x-axis instead of, so instead of having 15, columns, you need one. You need to transform yeah. that data table to ensure that you can actually visualize the trend and have the date in the X axis, right? So at the end, it's, it's very flexible. Again, everything is Spotify, super, super flexible. Transforming, pivoting, highlighting uh, outliers, being able to delete whatever you feel is not right or to target, like review this data. Is this data yeah. right? right? Target, put it a, a red flag or whatever. But yeah, it's a huge uh, process, part of the process. You're, you're definitely bringing me back to the days of, of all my data analysis. And uh, there's countless times where I was able to spot outliers just by throwing a simple scatter plot or even a bar chart that had some crazy figure. I'm like, okay, let's at let's, least let's analyze it. And let's let's look at this closely. Because in a massive spreadsheet, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of rows or, or more, you're not going to just see it with your eye. Your eyes are not, humans can't do that. Um, so data visualization definitely helps here. Um, I wanna move back quickly to 
your point about breaking data, data silos, there's a question here from Matt, and he's asking, is it better to ask for permission or for forgiveness when I want to access new data silos to experiment or learn with at my current job? Yeah, I will yeah. say always forgiveness. <laughs> I don't, I'm not very good asking for permission. So uh, I, I am very good at asking for forgiveness. But at the time that where, where you actually show the value, what you just did, uh, I started with the, hey, let me show you something. And, and then we go from there. <laughs> Let's go backwards. But yeah, I, uh, and this is the thing. I mean, you, you know what you are trying to accomplish, right? And, and when you have all the, okay, A, B, C, D, I need to see if this is actually working or not. And then when you mm -hmm. ask somebody from IT, it's like, okay, can I have access to this? For them, it becomes more like, okay, a to-do number 15, that at some point I will get to and stuff like that. But when you actually are uh, have the question about the data, you come from the field, you come from the expertise, ask for forgiveness because what you bring to the table uh, and yeah. to your culture and to your industry and to your job is way more impactful that, oops, sorry, I was not supposed to access this data and so on. Of course, I mean, you will have some security things and governance things, and uh, you can actually invite the right parties to be part of the meeting and discuss the fact that you need to democratize that data. But you need to push for that, right? And it needs to be a trigger for that meeting to happen. So <laughs> ask for forgiveness. <laughs> And if you are able to access data that you weren't supposed to get your hands on, well, you've just helped your company by um, showing them that they need to be more protective of their data, right? That's another another there value add you can bring by asking for forgiveness. Um, so you mentioned data data silos was, I guess, what you mentioned as one of your biggest obstacles in in your journey so far. Can you talk about any other challenges that you faced um, from from I guess from 2006 until now? Yeah, and I'm going to mix a little bit of personal, cultural, like a little bit of everything because it's been, I mean, it's been a journey. Uh, you let, yes, <laughs> uh, let's start with my school teacher who once told me, hey, you are never going to be an engineer. He literally said, don't study anything that has math involved. You won't make it. Um, I think that was a I, I think that was a motivation speech. I was like, okay, I'm gonna definitely study engineer. Uh, now, I come from Latin America. So I come from a Latin American culture. And if we think about it two decades ago, that Latin American culture where uh, if you are not a doctor or an engineer, it becomes questionable if you will be able to survive at all, right? So when I announced to my family back in Colombia that I was going to study electronics engineer, one of my aunts immediately asked, what are you gonna do with that degree? <laughs> like, and I was thinking, where is the future? Everything is going to be digital, don't you see it? But I didn't say anything at the time. I just was quiet about it. And then, you know, I moved to a different country with zero friends, zero family around. And I start from scratch in a different language. And uh, I also learned about cultural differences, and I have an example, Thanksgiving. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Colombia. Uh, it, this is a very, you know, North American culture. And I learned about Thanksgiving when I was literally stuck in a storm, a snowstorm, with no milk for my cereal. Because being from Colombia, we don't celebrate it, and it was not part of my culture. I didn't plan for it. 
And yeah. I was part of the campus and I said, okay, I'm gonna go and buy milk. Good luck to me. The town was completely shut down. Everything was closed, no milk for the next two days. And okay, I learned about Thanksgiving after driving my bicycle under the snow. Um, over under the snow. By the way, my bicycle has been stolen three times uh, during oh my, my journey in my in my as a student um, in my master degrees. But then, wow. back to the learning a second language. I will say, a good example. Texas Instruments. It's a very diverse company. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Equally, Pipco is huge as well. Very diverse companies. Very big. Very global. Uh, so it was very common for me to be seated at these meetings with mostly men. I mean, realistically, it's been my life. Uh, but all of these guys from countries all over around the world, right? So we had Chinese, Japanese, a lot of Indians, right? It's a very diverse group. Like we all bring to the table phenomenal skills coming from all over. But I have to be honest, that can be challenging sometimes, especially when you are also learning the industry vocabulary. So you are sitting in this room with guys from all over and everybody is trying to speak English as their second language. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that adds a layer of complexity to it. So I had more than one day when I got home, it's like, okay, this is, what was I thinking? I was a professor in Colombia. I had it all. It's like, okay, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I, I, this is gonna be okay. So there is, this is all always gonna be some kind of uh, challenge. But I will say, as a fact, as challenges and 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 obstacles, there are also a lot of opportunities. And I have seen and used the opportunities out there. Right? There is mm -hmm. always going to be obstacles or challenges. I mean, that's life. Uh, but the how we navigate around those obstacles and our ability to kind of zoom out and wait again, perspective, what is the end goal in mind? What is it that I'm going here? And go back to identifying your optimal next steps, right? Go, just yeah. go around the obstacle. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a journey. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. My first question is that school teacher. First of all, which uh, which grade were you? Is this is this high school, college, earlier, later? High school. It was the the last tenth uh, and eleven is our high school thing. And the last two years of high school, we kind of uh, in Colombia engaged into some kind of advising opportunity from professors or from teachers that, that tell you what are you good at and what are you going to be good in life. <laughs> that, was, that was my session. I do remember it because it was very, it's, it was, I think it was a line. It was a line when you say, no, you're never going to be successful being an engineer. This, but I actually yes. took it as a motivation, right? Like I show you. <laughs> this, this reminds me of, uh, of another conversation. Not sure if you know Deborah Berevichez. Uh, I believe she's from Mexico, but she had the exact same story. When she was a little girl, she said she wants to do some technical field that would focus on, you know, science or math. And her parents were like, just get like a real job or just you're, you're a woman, you're, you can't do something like this. And she also took it as like, I'm going to do this. Um, so I think it, it could go both ways, clearly, right? You, you can get discouraged, but um, glad to hear that you took it as a motivational speech. <laughs> That's um, I know that everybody would would take it as such, um, but 
knowing that you know you've gone through this journey, my other question to you is if you could do everything all over again, would you change anything? No. Every single step of my journey helped me be where I am today. And I absolutely love where I am today from every single perspective. I I love what I do. I have a beautiful family and uh, I feel very, very supported. And uh, I have been, I, I can say, very aware of every single opportunity that presented to me during that journey. And I am very proud to say I was able to make the most out of each of these opportunities that it presented to me during the journey. So of course, uh, time way to keep growing and keep helping the community embracing these applied data science techniques and, and see what else we can accomplish as community, because this is this is changing. This is not the best, the same perspective than 10 years ago. This is now a community thing. We are all transitioning into this uh, digital transformation, embracing what that means. And we do embrace it every single day in your phone, in your, in Google, in Facebook, tagging people, in Amazon recommending you what to buy next. And all those things are applied data science. All those applications are basing decisions based on data. And you as an individual are feeding this data to all of these applications to be smarter and smarter and smarter and give you a better sell and so on. And for me, becoming part of that process as the human, and that's a key component of my sentence, but as the human, uh, it's extremely, extremely motivating. So that's that's kind of where I, where I am and where I feel. Yeah, and it's very clear that you're very passionate about the, the community and building that community. Um, what advice would you have for, for those listening right now? What, what can they do to be more involved in this, in this space? Uh, or what have you done in the past that kind of helped you grow together with that community? Yeah, so I will say that uh, if you haven't done anything with any open source programming language, that's a very good starting point. Uh, at least understand the basic of the basics of it. Uh, I will say start with a Python uh, ABC. Why? Because Python is going to allow you to do the whole process from beginning to end, as in accessing data, transforming transforming data, visualizing, applying data science, statistics, enhance it machine learning and actually publish some results uh, in a very sandbox way, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, if you are looking to, hey, I, I do need to have a little more experience here, Python is a good starting point. Second, start with the data set that you know. So understand the, the use case behind it, choose a topic or field that you feel passionate about it. We already talked about that. Or ask the proper questions to your SME. And that's the other thing. You may be already on a job that, as an analyst, you are actually working on data and data sets and all of that. And you want to move into a more data science career. So what you are missing, what you are missing is now what? How are you going to push that analysis into something that can be predictive or into something that can put your company into one step ahead and be proactive on, instead of reactive. And that's the line right there, right? So yeah. so the why are you going to do with that data and how you're going to make it uh, proactive? Python can be very helpful. 
again, because it kind of has the end-to-end -end, as in what you need to do to distract insights from your data. But at the same mm -hmm. time, you, you need to be, I mean, you have to have some data literacy, right? Understanding the basics. Uh, it, this is a categorical value, it's a numerical value, what do I do with it? What are the, how do I select the best visualizations uh, representing the answers that you want to communicate to a business mm -hmm. user? So always, always, always zoom out and think the importance of your role and position yourself as that bridge between the technical and the non so technical where you are pretty much translating all yeah. these data and insights into actionable roadmaps or you know highlights that you bring to the team and to the business as a what to do next uh, and i think those are the key components of it yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned kind of doing these things in a sandbox. So you're, um, are you are you referring to maybe hackathons and and things like that? Because I wanted to get your thoughts on two things. One is hackathons and how participation in something like that can help somebody break in or grow their career. And kind of the second part to that question is also certifications. We have a question here from Martin about what are some of the you know, trusted institutions offering online certifications. Kind yep. of a twofold question there. Yeah, I'm gonna take the certification first. I'm gonna go to hackathons on the certification because I did one. Uh, I, I used the Coursera one. Uh, it's very focused on R, but again, I believed it helped me personally because I think, I feel that it put some structure into my knowledge. Like I already had a lot of these, oh yeah, I know this, I know this, but Having that capstone project and being able to connect all the dots and, and from the specialization perspective, it was helpful. There are a lot of uh, free options again, so I'm just going to mention Coursera just because I use it, but they also have uh, the Udemy. Uh, it has a lot of uh, classes as well. So I will say that the moral of the story is that you don't even have to pay, right? You can actually go through some more structured process that is going to help you to connect those dots and to ensure that you have uh, that uh, full picture. And from the hackathon perspective, I believe that the, the hackathon forces you, like, like the questions of the hackathon are gonna force you to your mental process to connect all the dots into the how you do so. And, and you will have a different set of skills. So the number one thing that I will say to, to the hackathon is, do not target a hackathon that is going to frustrate you. You know, like what I will say is like, in fact, rank your top three skills and target the hackathon that actually ensures those top three skills, right? Uh, for me, I, I won't join a, a hackathon on, on Java or JavaScript. It's, it's not me, right? It's, it's not me. I will like to join an analytics hackathon where somebody gives me a set of data and then they ask me questions from the marketing team, from the blah, blah team. Everybody's asking questions about this data. And I have the ability to see the insights into this data. It doesn't matter if it comes from one silo or 15. Yeah. That is the big part right there, right? It's in one silo or 15. And uh, I don't know if this is a good opportunity, but we actually have a hackathon coming up that is targeting oh. exactly those skills. I'm actually designing the hackathon. <laughs> oh, wow. When, when is it? Um, are the dates out or is there a link? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me see. Let me show you a couple of things. So we have our 
TIPCO Analytics Forum coming up. Yes. Uh, and that is event for TIPCO. And that is actually May 25th and 26th. And mm -hmm. we will have uh, a series of events during that, uh, that event. But I will say the most important thing. So a couple of things. Number one, you are going to be able to, this is a community, as I mentioned, this is a community that has been growing to this, right? So this is a beautiful opportunity to hear what the community is doing about it, right? So uh, using a Spotfire, but what is your applied data science use case? And hear it from these analysts that are actually going through the pain of, I tried to connect to the silos and finally I got this and here's what I was able to see and here is how I'm helping my company and here is why I am a hero inside mm -hmm. my company. Those are the use cases that we are focusing here. So the hackathon is gonna so the hackathon is gonna be part of the event. Uh, we're gonna have multiple speakers. We're gonna talk about analytics and what are we doing in the analytics world and how we transform, you know, from the data silos all the way to machine learning and apply machine learning. But the hackathon itself is gonna be oriented to these analysts that mm. are actually engaging into this data science transformation like what else do i have to add to my set of skills to ensure that i have the tools under my belt to answer these questions about this data and to mm -hmm. maximize the use of uh, these skills into that data so the hackathon is gonna present this is an spotfire hackathon uh, where you can actually that is pretty much the scenario you are going to receive a set of data and we're mm -hmm. going to ask questions and the ability to extract all of these insights from this data, the ability to present the information to a business user is going to be part of what the skills that we are looking for uh, for, for these participants of the hackathon. So can anyone who signs up for the uh, TIPCO Analytics Forum participate in the hackathon? How does that work? Yeah, they will have to pretty much register to it after signing okay. for the event. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you register, you will find the option to to be part of the hackathon. Uh, it's a 100% virtual event. We are still very aware of conditions out there. So uh, this is a 100% virtual event. And we're going to be supporting the hackathon or using a platform that is going to have everything pretty much pre-installed for you. And all you need to do is connect dots and show us your skills. Wow, very, very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. Another yeah. question on that hackathon, are, yeah. are you using Python R or is this all TIPCO, Spotfire? What are the tools people are gonna yeah. use? Yeah, it's a Spotfire, mostly. It's a Spotfire, okay. but with the ability, and if you don't have a Spotfire and if you wanna be one step ahead, I mean, this is, this is a super easy download at a couple of clicks and then you have a Spotfire up and running. Uh, okay. and, it's, and also we have a lot of uh, out there links as well in terms of uh, what do we do from the Spotfire perspective. Uh, there is a lot to learn in terms of uh, what do we do, how to connect the dots and, and how to actually ensure that you are maximizing, maximizing the insights into that data. So we actually have sessions into what are the basic categories that you need to deal with as a data scientist, right? So you need to, you need to bring your data, you need to design that visualization, you need to analyze, you need to push the analytics into a more predictive analytics, you need to find models, you need to transform, all of that is part of it. So 
Spotify is definitely a part of the hackathon, and we are also going to be using Python. And mm -hmm. the idea is to, you don't have to be like a superstar in Python, but the hackathon will assume that you know how to consume a script uh, from the community and just right. wire it with the yeah. Spotify user interface. So you put the button behind the algorithm, right? You still have an algorithm behind the button, but you are crossing that gap between the technical and the non-technical user, and you are still mm -hmm. using your Python skills, your statistics skills, your machine learning skills, but from a very nice user-friendly user interface, which is show me my data, show me my my high, my insights, and, and that's mm -hmm. what are we going to be doing on that hackathon. Okay, perfect. Then I see, um, so Trisha here added a link to the forum. If Trisha or, or Lori, if you guys want to add a link to the TIPCO Spotfire trial, I think that would be really helpful so people can, can go ahead and check that out. Uh, clearly, TIPCO Spotfire is awesome. You can see how far Catalina has taken her career with, with TIPCO. So definitely go ahead and, and check out that, that free trial and check out the analytics forum. Um, I'm looking, we had another question here that I thought was really interesting. And I had the same question written down because I couldn't wait to hear your thoughts. And I'm not sure who asked this, if they came in as LinkedIn users, I guess they have their privacy settings on. But the question is, where are you headed towards uh, furthering your data journey, right? What's next? I personally dislike the question because I don't think that far ahead. I'm like, I didn't know what's happening next week, you know? But <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear what's next for you in the next, let's say, three to five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is something that I actually have been thinking about it, right? So I see more and more customers embracing predictive analytics and applied data science as part of their workflows. Mm -hmm. I see the change in the community. I see the change on the culture of the organizations. Uh, so, you know, embracing this technology and changing from uh, IT does everything versus embracing analysts and data scientists is a very different culture. It's a very different way to do things. And we are gonna have to move to this one more and more and more. So mm -hmm. I will be, I can predict, I'm gonna be involved uh, generating awareness regarding ethics and AI. I think it's a topic that I feel very passionate about it. And I think that we need to be talking about it more and more, especially now that we have some data sources that are gonna start to merge, right? Mm -hmm. So if we talk about the future and image recognition and uh, cameras in the street and uh, data, rights and social scores and i mean we have a lot to talk about as societies <laughs> and i would love to i mean that's a, a very natural part of uh, my passion for data analytics is you know bringing the human to the workflow let's mm -hmm. ensure that we bring the human to the workflow and what that means is that if you are an analyst and you are starting to explore machine learning solutions or machine learning algorithms it's going to be a point where you have to question if there is an error with this algorithm, who is going to be responsible downstream? I mean, do we have some kind of governance here? How are we going to ensure that we're going to avoid bias algorithms? That had mm -hmm. happened so many times, right? So I have been engaged on this 
talks with the women in big data, meetup teams, and all of that, where I am passionate about ethics and AI. And uh, what do we need to do from the human perspective? So how to add that human into the workflow is going to be part, a uh, huge part of my next steps on my career, because I think that is more and more and more awareness. And we all know that the tools are out there. And we all know that this is something that we definitely have to talk about it and embrace it. And uh, I think it's going to become more government level and mm. some regulations uh, and things that need to happen. So I, I predict I'm going to be more and more involved in those kind of uh, conversations and that evolution of our analytics community pushing into a data science edge that knows what to do with machine learning and AI. Yeah, I think all those changes you mentioned, kind of the social scores and the, the privacy laws and all of that, we we have no choice but to face them, right? So I think getting on top of it um, as early as we can is a, is a great idea. And um, Catalina, I, I think we're, we're getting close to time here. Everyone is really, really happy they joined this session. Um, seriously, so many comments coming through that, that are saying they're glad that their schedule was able to allow for this. Um, but I, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask people, you know, if they want to continue having this conversation with you, uh, where can they reach you? Where do you, is it Twitter, LinkedIn, other, other platforms? Yeah, I will say uh, LinkedIn. Uh, there is also, uh, let me just share my screen very quickly yeah. so somebody can share the link as well. But uh, we also have, uh, for example, official Spotfire user group in LinkedIn. Uh, okay. it's, it's also a very nice uh, channel to, to be in contact. I also mm -hmm. recommend there are a lot of uh, Slack communities out there. Uh, so just FYI, you don't have to be, I am part of my typical Slack, of course, but that is not the only Slack that I have deployed in my desktop. I have like three or four more where I am engaged with uh, analyst communities, right? So mm -hmm. I am into an AI one, uh, AI for LATAM, uh, machine mm -hmm. learning, women in tech, like passionate about many topics. And the good thing about this is that you can actually have the luxury of uh, joining these communities in an easier way, right? There are open slacks that you can actually share a lot of this information. The official Spotfire user group, uh, as well as the, uh, there is also a Facebook uh, TIPCO group as well, where you can actually continue the conversation as well. Perfect. So we've got the official Spotfire user group on LinkedIn. We've got the Facebook Tipco. We've got your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. We've got you on LinkedIn. Yeah. You can check out the free trial and the Tipco Analytics Forum. Did I miss anything? Oh, wait, wait. Lori added your Twitter handle. There you go. And you can find her on Twitter. I love this. Thank you, awesome. Lori. This was this was such a, a pleasure for me to to get to chat with you and hear your journey today. Uh, you inspired many, I'm sure who are either starting in their career or transitioning or who want to be a data scientist. And I really want to thank you so much for your time and just thank you for talking to me today. No, absolutely, Kate. I, I really I really like what you're doing. So, um, I think uh, we may cross paths at some point one more time or two more times, but I really enjoyed uh, this conversation and well, as well. And I love what you are doing for the community. You know, this is part of the awareness that needs to happen. So happy to support these kind of events as well. 
Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for everybody who uh, joined us live. And thank you for participating with your comments and questions. It really helps to make this a more engaging conversation. And on that note, have a great rest of your week. And I will see everybody online. Thank you, Kate. You too. OK, thank you.